Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you've joined us today. We are beginning, as Kathy said, our new series of messages entitled Life Hacks, Discovering the Real Shortcuts of Life. Now, I first heard this term, life hack, about a year ago, and like most internet trends, I was just a little bit behind the curve on this one. The term life hack apparently was added to the Oxford Dictionary back in 2011. Let me give you their definition of what a life hack is. It's a strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. Now, let me give you a few examples of just some of the life hacks that are out there. You can go online and you can spend a day looking at life hacks, but here's just a few of them. Uh, this is one of the things that bothers me. Sometimes I go to peel a hard-boiled egg and it just kind of disintegrates. So if you want to spend a little time or a little less time and have more, uh, better results, you can uh, add some baking soda apparently to the water and that'll, that'll help. Here's another one. You can clean a shower head without any effort by just uh, soaking it in vinegar overnight and um, that'll take care of your the hard water stuff on your shower head. Now there's a lot of really helpful life hacks out there. Some of them honestly are pretty funny, pretty goofy life hacks. Here's one. You can use your car to bake cookies. Now, the question is, why would you? I, I don't know why you would do this, how it saves any time. You probably have to clean up your car afterwards, and it's got to be a really hot day for this to work. But apparently, you can bake cookies uh, in your car. Uh, this one was interesting. Nothing says I'm cheap like this iPhone speaker. You know, you can do this at the next party you have and see what people think of you after you use this for iPhone speaker. Uh, this is on a life hack website, but it seems to me more like just an excuse to eat more ice cream. Not, not really a way to get more done. So you just kind of, you know, if, you're, if you like Nutella and you add ice cream. I don't know if that really makes sense, but this one I thought was interesting. Apparently Doritos can be used as kindling. So if you find yourself, you're out, out camping and you don't have any kindling, but you have a bag of Doritos, you're you're in good shape. Now, honestly, I have my doubts about this. I don't know if Doritos really are that combustible, but I haven't tried it. You can try it. What interests me about this is if you look, everything pretty much in this photo is kindling. So I don't know why you'd resort to Doritos. Just use anything else that's kind of around there, and that should work for kindling. Now, I personally, I think the phrase life hack is a bit of an overstatement for this kind of advice. I mean, how to clean a shower head more efficiently is a nice piece of advice, but I don't know that it's truly life-changing, but really changes your life that much. What we really want to know is the best way to accomplish the parts of our life that, that matter most to us. You know, maybe how to resolve a conflict, or how to build a healthy marriage, or how to raise successful kids, or how to live the kind of life that, that really, in the end, we look back over it and we know that, that we lived it well, that really mattered. Now, the word for that kind of life hack is wisdom. Now, wisdom isn't measured in IQ quotient, or it's not measured on an IQ test. That, that's intelligence. Wisdom is something very different than that. Wisdom is tested in real life. It's not tested uh, in a classroom, but in real life. And wisdom is the ability to make the kind of decisions over time that build a truly good life. And it's revealed over time. And wisdom comes from God. He's the one that gives us insight. He's the one that shares these life hacks with us so that we can build a truly good life. Much of God's wisdom is summarized in short sayings in the book, Old Testament books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And these are the two books that we're going to be drawing this series from. And my hope is that 
as I share some of these life hacks with you over the next five weeks, that you will be drawn to this book and you will spend more and more time learning these sayings of wisdom. Now today, at the end of the service, as you exit, we're going to give everyone a carabiner. It looks like this. We'll put it on the screen. Um, and so everyone gets one of these on your way out to kind of remind you of this series. And the reason we chose a carabiner is because carabiners have a, a lot of life hack potential to them. Uh, you can do a lot with a, a carabiner. You can, um, you can organize the belts in your closet. If you're a guy, you can, if you're a gal, you can make, uh, you can attach all your keys and hair, hair bands and whatever to find them easily in your purse. Uh, you can use a carabiner to keep two extension cords attached. If you've ever plugged them together and they keep pulling apart, a carabiner will be a way to kind of help them stay together. You can use these carabiners to hang grocery bags from your car headrest, and you can go online and find all kinds of other ways to use carabiners. But we're giving you these not just so that you can, you know, be more efficient uh, around the house, but the key part of this carabiner is the verse that's printed on the carabiner. It's the first phrase of our theme verse for this series. So let me read this, the entire verse. This is Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. This really is kind of the key idea in all of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. A life hack is Quite simply, the straightest path from where you are to where you need to be. The most efficient route that you can take is a life hack. Now, honestly, we tend to kind of wander our way through life. We, we get interested in this, and then we kind of divert over to this, and then we get distracted by that. And if you look at the course of our life, it, it's kind of a, a meandering, not a straight path. And God offers to make our paths straight, to stop the wandering. Now, if we think, though, that we are smart enough to figure out life on our own, we won't be interested in advice from God. We won't really want to learn his wisdom. Because some of God's advice, some of his wisdom, will not work quick enough for us. And we'll wonder if, if this life hack really works at all. And, and rather than endure and trust God long enough to see the wisdom behind what he is telling us to do, we we, we will bail before we endure because we're, we're not going to trust God that long. Some of God's life hacks will be too hard to do, and we will find excuses to not do them. But most of the advice that we find in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, most people will never read because they, they already trust themselves more than anyone else, and they already think that they know enough, and so they're not really looking for more, more input. And so before the wisdom of these two books really begins to benefit us. We must make a decision. The first decision we must make is to take God seriously. How serious? Well, according to Proverbs, it needs to rise to the level of fear. This is what it says in Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the the precursor. This is the life hack before all of the other life hacks. This is the beginning. This is what opens the door to wisdom. Now, we don't normally think of fear as a good thing, but fear can be very helpful in two particular ways. First of all, fear tells us what is real. It tells us what is real. 
Now, we see fear as a bad thing, but actually fear is a gift given by God to us for our protection. Recently, someone cut me off in traffic, and I had this sudden urge to chase them down. But I did not. Why? Well, is it because I'm a pastor? No, that thought did cross my mind, but that's not the real reason. The real reason, honestly, was I was afraid to. I was afraid. You see, I've heard about the consequences of road rage, and the fear of those consequences was stronger than my desire to make my point at being treated wrongly on the road. Now, is that a bad fear? No, I I would say that was a good fear. You you can call me scaredy cat, and I would say, yeah, but I'm alive. (laughs) That's a good kind of fear. That fear might have saved me, well, maybe a ticket, but something even far worse. So that fear protected me from doing damage to myself and maybe somebody else. You see, fear, more than anything else, is what sets the boundaries for our life and protects us. When we have a legitimate fear, it's because we believe that there's real consequences if we go there. If we cross that boundary into that area, we we think that there's real danger there. And so God has given us fear that that tells us, don't, don't cross that border. Don't go and do those things because there's danger over there. The problem for us is that our internal fear meters can give off a lot of false readings. You know, we can get scared about a whole lot more than we should be afraid of. And we, we can literally become just frozen in fear, unable to move. Or on the opposite side, we can be completely oblivious in the face of some real danger and just kind of walk right into a trap and have our fear meter not warn us at all that we were in danger. So in order to reduce the number of false readings our fear meter gives, we we need to have it regularly calibrated to the two dimensions of reality. Dimension number one is the physical dimension. Now this is the dimension that, that comes rather natural to us our fear meters are pretty regularly being calibrated by the physical dimension. Because if you cross the boundaries of the physical dimension, there's immediate consequences. And so our fear meters are pretty regularly calibrated to the physical dimension. And we we need to have an accurate read on the real dangers that are out there in our world. I mean, this is the category of fear, the kind of fear that keeps you from driving on the wrong side of the road or jumping off tall buildings or showing up for work whenever you want to, regardless of what the boss wants. You know, that, that's a healthy fear to, to not defy those things. It's because your fear meter is properly calibrated to the physical dimension. But the second dimension is a little, a little tougher to calibrate to, and that's the spiritual dimension. This is the dimension that, that is increasingly missing from modern life. You know, our knowledge of the physical world and, and all of the laws of nature and what science is discovering just keeps growing, and that, that has allowed us to make a safer and safer physical world. But the knowledge of the God who made that world is, is increasingly vanishing. And the result is that the lev- while the level of pain on the outside may be going down, the physical pain quotient may be going down, the pain and, and the sadness and the turmoil on the inside just keeps going up. And there's just so much evidence that this is happening. It's because our fear meters are increasingly not calibrated at all to the spiritual dimension. We ignore the dangers that God has warned us about, and we do tremendous damage to ourselves and those that are close to us. Now, in order to gain the kind of wisdom that the Bible talks about, 
A person must have a certain kind of relationship to the God of the Bible, the one who is the, the source of wisdom. And the sin that keeps us at a distance from God must be remedied. It must be addressed. It must be forgiven. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. And without this second dimension, with this spiritual dimension, our, our internal fear meters will just be off. And pain is how we will know that. Pain will follow. You know, when, when children are born, those of you who are parents, you know when your children are born, they're, they're completely naive to the dangers of this world. They, they have absolutely no fear of traffic or strangers or electricity or poison. They, they just have no idea of the real dangers that are out there. And one of the jobs of a parent is to begin to calibrate their fear meter to the physical dimension. This, this, you, know, you don't stick your finger in the light socket. You don't drink these things. You don't walk out into traffic. You know, this, this lack of fear for little ones is what leaves them very vulnerable. So it's up to the parents to instill some appropriate fear, not to scare them unnecessarily, but, but to teach them what is real. You know, we've all seen a young child kind of bolting across the parking lot with a frantic mother or father in pursuit. Why, why do kids do that? Why do they just, without looking, both ways just bolt? Well, it's, it's because for them, the world is kind of whatever's in front of them. I mean, that, that's all they see. They, they just see one dimension, what's in front of me, and that something attracts a young child's attention, and off they go. They're, they're not thinking, you know, let, let me get a real sense of my surroundings. Let me, let me scan around here before I run off into the parking lot or run across the street to, to make sure that there's no cars coming. They haven't been trained yet to, to look both ways. They just kind of look straight ahead and, and off they go. So again and again, you, you'll see a parent grabbing a hold of the hand of a little one and maybe squatting down before they get into the parking lot or across that street, and you'll see them kind of direct the, the child's heads both directions and say, now let's look, and okay, now it's safe, now let's walk. They're training them, they're calibrating their fear meter to what is real, making them aware that there's more than just one dimension. There's more than just what's in front of them and what, what they can see directly in front of them that's going on around them. Now I say this because we tend to be kind of like those kids in life. You know, we, we charge off into our days pretty much looking straight ahead. You know, we're, just, we're looking at what we've got to do and, and what's happening, and, and it's just kind of whatever. And, and we rarely pause to look up and ask God, you know, help me see what's happening here. What, what's going on around me? We, we just look one-dimensionally. We, we look at the facts. We, we look at what, what's on our to-do list and maybe the challenges we have in front of us, and, and we just charge straight ahead. And we, we don't look up. We just look out. We don't look both ways. And the result is we often miss a whole lot of wisdom. Now, we know the physical dimension. As adults, we, if we're still alive, we've, we've learned quite a bit about the physical dimension. You know, we even call that the real world. But that's, it turns out that's just one part of what's real. God not only created the laws that run the physical dimension, he, he created the laws that run the moral and invisible world as well. And it turns out we live in both dimensions, whether we're aware of it or not. Just like that little child, it turns out that they're in the real world, whether they're aware of the dangers or not. You know, the cars don't cease to exist because children are not aware of the danger. 
You know, the world doesn't change for us because we're not aware of the dangers. And so we, you know, head off into our days and we just don't look in both directions. But if we limit ourselves just to this physical dimension, what we're doing really is we're like those little kids. We're running out into traffic and we're not looking both ways. We're just looking straight ahead. We're kind of like Americans walking the streets of London. I don't know if you've ever been to London, but as an American, you'll see this sign. Oftentimes, you're getting ready to step across the curve, and it says, look right. And I often think they should put in parentheses, you silly Americans, because it's for us that these signs are there. Apparently, there's enough Americans that, you know, have looked left and stepped off thinking there's no traffic and not realizing they drive on the other side of the road, and therefore, traffic comes from the other direction. Now, there's many times when I was in London, I was like, oh, I'm so grateful for that sign. Let me take a look over there before I head off. You know, it's, it's very wise for them to do that for us. Now, the Bible really is kind of God's look right sign. You know, before you step out into your day, before you step into this conversation, before you step into this decision, don't just look one-dimensionally. Take a, take a look at the other dimension. Don't just look at the physical realities. Don't just line the things up that you need to do to make a good decision physically with the laws of the world that you know, but, but take a look at what God says on this. What, 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 are, what applies to this? Is there more going on than this? So the Bible is God's look-right sign. You know, most, most of us will look only at the physical world, but it turns out that the primary flow of life over time comes primarily from God from the different dimension. So people keep stepping into traffic and wondering why their life hurts so bad, why why there's so so much turmoil on the inside. That's because they're just looking one-dimensionally. So let me ask you this morning, what, what are some of the things that you're afraid of? I mean, do you have any financial fears? I would say if you don't have any financial fears, either you have a large pile of money that you're sitting on, Or you're just kind of naive about the real risks of the future and how much resources it might take and what might happen. Are you afraid for your kid's future? If you're a parent, are you afraid for your kid's future? Well, if not, I would say you're not being realistic about the direction that our culture is heading. Do do you fear the slow, painful death of cancer? Well, if not, I would say you haven't read the statistics. What I'm saying is that if you're afraid, it's because you have a brain. It's because you you have an accurate read on the dangers that are out there. The question is, what should we do with that fear? Should we work harder to solve our financial fears? That's a good idea. Should we really ratchet up our effort and, and be a better and better parent and try to figure out how to do that better so that we can really help our kids face the challenges of the future in this culture? Yeah, that that would be really good. Should you eat organic and exercise to prevent cancer? That's a great idea. But let me ask you, having done all of those things and maybe more, is your fear all gone now? Probably not. Why? Well, it's because you know that there's no guarantee. And you see, if your fear meter goes no farther than this dimension, than the physical dimension, you really have no solution for fear. You have attempts, but no real answer to fear. The only answer to fear is 
calibrating your fear to this spiritual dimension. Now, that seems like an odd solution to fear. I mean, you would think that by adding a second dimension of fear to your life that it would increase your fear, right? You have legitimate fear about things in this world, and then you add to that the fear of the Lord, taking Him seriously. Now now you're adding more fear to your life. So it would seem like it would increase your fear, but it has the opposite effect. It actually reduces fear. Why? Well, it's because the God dimension opens up not only a whole realm of what is real, but a whole realm of help for the physical dimension. You see, if the God dimension is real, then we're not on our own in this world. And this world is not just a a random series of causes and effects, and we just might be a, a cancer statistic, and there's nothing that can be done about it. No, if the God dimension is real, we're not on our own in this world that is full of tremendous danger. We're not immune from the danger, but we've got help now as we deal with this life. So the question then is, how can you expand beyond one-dimensional fear into the second dimension? Well, obedience is, is what breaks you into that second dimension. What I mean by that is you pick an error in your life that's not in line with what God says in the Bible, and you begin to get that area of your life in line. You begin to actually obey. That's what breaks into the second dimension. You can't break into the second dimension just by saying, okay, today I'm going to begin to recalibrate my fear, not only to what is out there in the physical world, but what God has said is true that I can't see. That's a good decision, but that decision will not change your heart. It will not recalibrate your fear meter. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to start doing something that God says to do. And every time you obey, every time God says, this is what you need to do in this area, and you decide, okay, I'm going to do that, what's happening is your respect for, your fear of, how serious you take God now is going up. Not just in theory, not just in decision, but in reality, because you're actually making adjustments based on what God is saying. What that means is you're, you're treating that stuff as real now. It's not just theory. It's not just nice-sounding morals. It's, it's as real as the law of gravity now, because you're responding to it. And the result of those decisions of obedience is it reduces your overall fear, because now God is real not just the physical world. Now, honestly, most people are much more open to the help part of the God dimension than the obeying part. We're happy for God to help us in any way he can, but we're not so happy about doing something that we don't want to do because God says this is what we need to do. But that's kind of like saying, you know, I'm open to the, the whole idea of width. It's just length that I'm struggling with. What length and width are They're both part of physical dimensions. They're both real. You can't pick one dimension or the other. What I'm saying here is we will not perceive God's help as real if we don't perceive his words as real. You can't have one without the other. Either God is real or he's not to you. I'm not talking about in theory. I'm I'm talking about in reality. And if God is real, if, if you and I are taking him seriously, then not only is his help of real relief and benefit to us, but his words that tell us what to do are what's guiding our life. They're both real. You see, if the God dimension isn't real enough to alter our behavior, 
then it's not real enough to help us with our fears. So this may sound strange, but if you're struggling with fear, one of the best things you can do is to take some part of the Bible and begin to align your life to it, begin to obey. And you will discover your fear begins, it's not going to vanish, but it will begin to diminish. Now, good fear not only tells us what is real, but it tells us a second thing that's very important for us to know. Good fear tells us what really matters. It tells us what's real. It also tells us what really matters. So what we take seriously, we believe is real. And what we take seriously, we believe really matters. Over the last couple of years, I have added two new fears to my life. To my life. Their names are Millie and Clara. These are my two granddaughters, so we'll show you a picture of them here. These, these little cutie pies have caused more fear to my life now. Now, they're, they're a gift from God, but the question is, why do I feel fear about these two? Well, it's because these two matter to me a great deal. And you as parents know this. You know, whenever one of them gets sick and the doctor is unsure about the cause and they order more tests and it could be, you know, any number of just horrible, awful diseases. And I feel that. I mean, I, I, I feel fear. I struggle on the inside because I'm afraid for them because they matter to me. You know, when it comes to Millie and Clara, my fear meter is accurate. It's telling me the truth. Just like your fear, fear meter is accurate regarding to your kids. They really do matter. They really are valuable, and therefore, you, you're afraid for them when they struggle and when there's a physical problem. But my fear meter can also give false readings in this area. It can give me false readings about what really matters. It's accurate about Millie and Clara and other things, but sometimes it's very inaccurate. For example, I can get in an argument with my, with my wife that is driven by my fear of being wrong. So my fear meter is telling me that proving my point matters more than my wife. And that's just not true, right? But my, my fear of being wrong is saying, you know, you, you got to die on this hill. You, you gotta, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be bad if you admit you were wrong. So you, you just, you know, being right is more important right now than your wife of 31 years. I mean, how bizarre is that? I mean, my fear meter is completely lying to me at that point. It is saying that being right is more important than my wife, and that's just not true. It's giving me a false reading. Or I can, get, I can be afraid of what people think of me to the point where I don't say what I should say or do what I should do because my fear meter is telling me that what people think about me matters most. And, but it just doesn't. It's lying to me. So we have to calibrate again to the, the dimensions. Now, there are two ways to, to calibrate or, or adjust your fear, fear meter in, in the area of what matters. There's two ways that we determine what matters most. The first way is trial and error. This is what we mostly do. In other words, we pick something and we decide this really, really matters. We put it at or near the center of our life. We begin to organize our time and maybe our finances, and we just kind of begin to order our life around that thing because we've decided this is really important or maybe the most important thing in my life right now. And then we pursue that, and we build our life based on that. 
And then we, over time, we get to see whether that works or not. Whether whatever it was we put at the very center can bear the weight of that expectation. And sometimes, within a few weeks or a few months, that blows up and we realize, no, that really wasn't that important. But oftentimes, it can take years and decades, and sometimes people can live a whole life and keep switching things out that really don't matter, and, but it's trial and error. They're trying to figure out what really matters and see if it works. The second way of trying to figure out what matters most is you take God's word for it. You, you read what he says, and you begin to order your life around what he says matters most, not what, what your current fad is or what, what everyone around you says matters most, but you, you, you look at what he says. Now, this, these are the things that matter most, and you begin to build your life around those things. Now, the second way is wise. The first way is foolish, because the first way, well, you're the experiment. It's your money. It's your time. It's your life that is being consumed as you're trying to figure out how to build a life. And you and I, we only get a few decades. And God's trying to save us from getting to the point where we're near the end of our life and we realize, you know what, what I really gave my life to really didn't matter. He's, he's trying to share his wisdom with us. But very few of us are wise enough to take God's word for it. We tend to do number one, trial and error. But the problem with this approach, not only does it, does it take time, because some, some, sometimes we put something at the center and it, it takes a decade or two for us to really figure out, you know what, this isn't doing it for me. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a loss of a lot of time. The problem with this approach not only is the loss of time, but it can get pretty painful when we discover that, you know, this, this thing or this person or whatever it was that I put at the very center is, is, is not worthy of being God in my life. And I know that now because I'm in a world of hurt. Now, the person that God chose to write down most of his life hacks, most of his sayings of wisdom, is King Solomon. He was the king of Israel. And he wrote most of the sayings in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is God's kind of summary book of his wisdom. God says a whole lot more in the rest of the Bible, but if you, if you want to go to the kind of the source of most of God's wisdom, and you want to read it in just little one-sentence kind of sayings, sometimes two sentences, the book of Proverbs is, is the greatest collection of those. But the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the one that Solomon wrote that follows Proverbs, is a record of Solomon's personal kind of school of trial and error. Solomon's attempts at option number one. You see, Solomon himself, he, well, he pretty much had everything. He had international fame. World leaders would travel to Jerusalem just to hear him talk. He had tremendous wealth. In today's dollars, the estimates are that his annual income was about a billion dollars a year. He had holdings. His net worth was about a hundred billion in today's dollars. That's more than anybody alive now. And not only did he have all of these resources, he was king. You know what that meant? He didn't pay any taxes. And he didn't have any regulation or any other authority over him to limit what he wanted to do. Now, God had given Solomon tremendous wisdom. Solomon had prayed for wisdom early on in life, and God had granted him wisdom. That's why Solomon was the one that God chose to write a lot of these sayings. But even though 
Solomon knew what God said was true, he, in many cases, decided to try out some of the other things. He started, decided to do this trial and error thing. And Ecclesiastes is, is kind of the journal of Solomon's experiences. Proverbs says this is God's wisdom, and Ecclesiastes says, and this is what it's going to be like if you try the other options. So Solomon kind of represents both of these approaches. And chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes is kind of of a summary statement about many of the things that Solomon pursued. I mean, he pursued pleasure. You know, a lot of times people put that at the very center and say, you know what, just, if I'm just happy and I pursue whatever makes me happy, that's the most important thing in life. So Solomon said, well, let's try it. I mean, I've got the money and I'm just going to do it. He, so he, did, he didn't deny himself anything. If it felt good, he did it. And he, he did tremendous things with his wealth. Not only did he amass tremendous wealth, but he leveraged that wealth to to build cities and, and public parks and public works projects. And, and the, the road system in Israel was better than it had ever been. And Israel to this day will look back on the time of Solomon and say that was kind of the high watermark of the nation of Israel. So in terms of accomplishments and success, no one did better. And in fact, that, that was the basis of his international fame. Dignitaries from around the world would come just to listen to Solomon because of his tremendous success. But here's what he says at the end of chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes, about all of these different things that he's tried other than God's wisdom. He says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Are, are you working that kind of job right now? Well, Solomon said, this, this was my experience. And he says, this too is meaningless. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, this word meaningless comes up over and over and over again. And Solomon is basically saying, all of these other ideas, you try them and you'll come to the conclusion that they're just dead ends. They're, they're meaningless. They don't matter as much as they appear to at the beginning. Then at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon makes a concluding statement. So here's the billionaire's final conclusion on how to live the best kind of life. Now realize, he paid a high price for this, more than probably you and I will ever have. And this is what he concludes in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, there's that phrase again, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. Solomon basically says, hey, everyone, let me just save you a lot of time and a lot of money. I came to this conclusion, and it cost me a lot. What really matters most is doing what is right in God's eyes. That's what matters most. Both now and in the end, it won't matter how much money you have or what position you were elevated to or what you accomplished or how many people were impressed by you. Your entire duty, he says, is just this. Ask the question, what does God want me to do now? And then get after that. Now, you can't change the past. You can't control what people do or say. You can't protect yourself from every danger out there in the world. But you and I, we can do this. We can wake up every day. We can decide to take God seriously and say, okay, God, what do I need to do? What's my duty today? So if your fear meter is off, your paths are going to be anything but straight. You know, you'll be running away from things that you should be moving towards, maybe, or you'll be pursuing 
what you really think matters, only to discover later, you know, this really doesn't matter. This is the first and most important of the five life hacks that we're going to be looking at in this series. Make God and his ways the magnetic north of your personal life compass. So no matter how crazy it gets, pull out your compass and say, what, what does God want me to do? That's your duty. Take him seriously. I've got some next steps for you to consider as we begin to wrap up today. These are on the back of your connection card, also listed on the bottom of the listing guide that we have in the program there for you. Upper left-hand corner of the back of the um, connection card, these are the three. I would encourage you to memorize this Proverbs 9, verse 10. It's a, it's a short, just a short phrase. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Taking God seriously is the beginning of wisdom. I would encourage you to memorize that. The second thing I would encourage you to do is begin each day with prayer. Before you charge off into the day, pause. I would recommend you at least sit down. Um, however long you take, that's up to you. But I would encourage you just to pause before you charge off the day and bring your day before God. Just pray. Just get in the habit of looking up before you look out. Just begin that habit. And then the last one is take a step of obedience. My guess is, even if you haven't read the Bible much, there's probably some area of your life where you have a sense that God might want you to change. You're probably aware, you know, this, I'm not doing this, I think, the way God would want me to do it. Well, address this area and begin to take steps of obedience in that area. That's practically how you take God seriously. You don't just decide to take God seriously. You take God seriously as you begin to order your life around what he actually says. So I would encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we are so grateful that you have given us wisdom from you, that we are not left just to kind of bump around in the dark with our own experiences of trial and error and the experiences of the families we grew up in and the people around us. And um, we, we, we would just bring a tremendous amount of pain into our life if it wasn't for your wisdom. So, Father, I pray for those here today who, who are experiencing the pain of not taking you seriously. And, God, I pray that they would turn to you. They would make their, their relationship with you right through your son, Jesus Christ, and they would begin to follow you. And then I pray, God, that you would, you would help us all take you more seriously. Um, we take the physical world very seriously because the consequences of not doing that are immediate. But when we ignore you, the consequences usually lag, and so we tend to not take you as seriously as we need to. I pray that you would grant us honest fear of you, not scared because you love us, but respectful because you are real. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.